0: was popping was popping was popping welcome nikki and moose i'm nikki that's moose what's up moose what up y'all and on this episode we have let me me break this down for you okay uh former nfl player okay Mm. uh father husband uh all around author superstar Podcaster, can I? get I mean, I could keep going. I'm not.
1: I'm. You know, I'm not going to tell you the name. Who's
0: going to tell you the name? Who's
1: who? Are we talking about? Man, super humble guy. This guy has accomplished a lot of incredible things. But I'll tell you who it is. We're talking about Devin Steele, y'all. Listen, listen. We we just
0: gonna get to it. Let's let's just get into this intro. Two kids from Queens, cut from a different cloth. Now, joining forces, helping you to elevate your personal brand. Yeah, I'm talking about Nicki and Moose, bringing you a never-before-seen perspective into the mindset, the mentality, the behaviors, the driving force. But more importantly, the stories behind the people and brands that you know and love the most. So before we get into this episode, you know, I got to tell you that this episode is powered by Ecamm Live, the number one all-in-one streaming platform that allows you to stream now on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, everything, LinkedIn, all at once, being able to do your podcast with audio isolations, everything from video with transitions to uh, everything you need. Just everything. You see Nikki and Moose, you see Ecamm. So if you want a free trial on us, 14 days, uh, go to www.nikkimoose.com slash Ecamm for your free trial. And I got it right. Yummy.
1: Good job. But Love let's it. get
0: into our guest of the day. Uh, first, first, let me say this. Can I say I was like. I don't think he remembers, right? But mm-hmm. we had, oh, man, what what conference it was. I don't remember what conference Take control. it was. Okay. Take control. Shout out to you who remembers this, okay?
1: Remember, it. And yeah.
0: so here I am with my little, this is before I had the camera, so I had the phone, right? So here I am with my phone, and I saw him, and I was like, yo, say something dope, right? And he says something dope next to his wife. And I was like, okay, let me fan him real quick. All right. I got it, <laughs> E. I got it. He's like, yeah, that's my guy. I was like, I got it, E. So let me, let me bring him on. Let me bring on. Devin!
2: What's going on?
0: <laughs> What's
2: Not much. How y'all doing?
0: Can't complain. Can't complain. Look, uh, I'm I'm going I'm to I'm let Moose start this off because I'll, I'll ramble. I'll ramble.
1: Yeah, man. <laughs> man, listen, first off, and I think I told you before we jumped on, of course, we're excited to have you on, but this is uh, probably going to be a really cool conversation because I, I don't know that... Uh, you know, people who build successful brands often speak on them uh, in the way that we hope to touch on this one. But before we get into all of that, man, for the for the people who might not know who you are, which is three crazy people. by the way, three people, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is crazy. It's like if you don't know who Devin Still, is, that's 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 a problem. But let's just let's just offer some grace, man. Tell us a, a quick background story on who who Devin Still is.
2: Yeah, man. So uh, a lot of people know me from my playing days. I, I played college football at Penn State from 2007 to 2012. I was the team captain there. Um, I became a All-American, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And in 2012, I got drafted 53rd overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, where I played there for four years. And a lot of people became um, aware of who I was and, and my family's story when my daughter was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma in 2014, and I decided to use my platform as an NFL player to really raise awareness for families who were battling cancer in the hospital before we were even there. You know, giving a voice to the voiceless, and then ever since then, we've just been on a mission to bring as much um, impact and, and value to the cancer community as well as as well as other people who are facing any type of uh, struggles in their lives. That's that's wow.
0: huge. That's huge. Now. Um, I wanted to ask, like, that's that's a lot to deal with as far as putting that out to the public when it came to your daughter. Right. Like talk about, you know, the transparency that you had to give. Like, was there some hesitancy like, yo, no, I need to I need to hold this back or no, this is for a bigger cause. We need to bring this awareness. So all of our journey, I'm going to make sure is documented because. I I know um, that, I don't know if everybody would take that route to be like, you know what, I'm going to share this on social media. I'm going to share this on uh, news media and things like that. So, so talk about the transparency.
2: Yeah, one of the reasons why we decided to go public with the story was it, it was kind of in a, a selfish way, but it was meant to impact a lot more people. I understood the type of fight that we were about to go through this is not something that you can do for yourself, but you have to find meaning and a purpose that really transcends the self. And is about a larger group. So I knew by sharing our story and really being a champion of all those who are battling childhood cancer, there would be moments where, you know, I wanted to give up because things became too hard, too tough. And if I was trying to champion for this community, then I couldn't send the message off to every other parent that's going through this, that it's OK to give up. So it was really in a selfish way that this was going to be my driving force to keep pushing in times that I knew I was going to want to throw in the towel. And just the way that we were able to impact that community is like we all fed off each other. I was giving them, you know, inspiration and hope and it was giving us purpose for our pain. Mm. Man, it's incredible when
1: you can rally behind the cause and make it about other people. And all of a sudden, it starts to help you deal with the, the challenge the trauma that comes with it, right? Because again, I can't only imagine what it is to have your one and only child at the time, face something like that. And of course, you start thinking about not just her, but helping others as well. I want to ask you about that. At what point did you start to realize that you have something around the cause? Because, everyone when they think about a brand or a business they often think products service their name and likeness at what point did you realize that wait this can be something this is this is a a bigger cause that people will care to know about and we can actually do something with it
2: it was the first time I, I put up an Instagram post about what we were going through and it got picked up by ESPN and then um we just started raising a ton of awareness. And then when I went back out to Cincinnati, because Leah was diagnosed in Philadelphia, um, they decided to put my jersey on sale and donate all the money to cancer research. And we raised like a million dollars in the first week wow. of uh, selling the jersey. And that's when I realized that this was much bigger than me. This was much bigger than my family and football, but we really had a chance to impact people's lives. Wow. And,
0: and how how has she... I guess, uh, come accustomed to the fame that she gotten through her journey. Like, is she like over it? Like, look, okay, look, I'm good now. Like, I don't want to talk about this. Or is she like, yo, this is my life. I don't mind it. This is what I do. Cause I mean, she's a kid.
2: Right. No, she, she's definitely still an advocate. Um, she, she loves doing things to really, uh, just give families hope when we make visits to the hospitals, just showing the kids that, you know, one, I used to be in the bed just like you, but look at me now and, and you have an opportunity to do that too. But also sometimes she likes to pull back because she was identified as the girl with cancer. And as she yeah. got older and she went into remission, she went, didn't want to be known as the girl with cancer anymore. So she was trying to find ways to really um, just show other people what she was about and her other gifts in this world.
0: That's dope.
1: That's dope. Yeah. Dev, I want to talk about life after sports, especially for someone like yourself as a pro athlete. You know, you have a lot of different options, but you made that the choice of where you want to dedicate your time and energy. And I'm sure it's expanded today. Of course, we're going to talk about the podcast here in a little bit. But can you talk about maybe some of the challenges that you dealt with when you were trying to transition from walking away from the NFL? (laughs) You know, that's a
2: lot for some people. It it was tough. And one of the reasons why it was tough for me, and I think for a lot of professional athletes is our identity is tied up in our sport. Um, And when we can no longer play that sport, we feel like our lives don't have any value. Uh, Coming from the inner city, you know, everybody always used to live by the saying, live fast, die young, because they didn't really feel like their life had any purpose. And the first time that I felt like my life had purpose is when All these college coaches started coming into the inner city and coming to my school, begging me to come play for them. Because before, when we was broke, we were struggling. Nobody was coming to help us. And now all of a sudden I get good at football and they're like, come play at my school. And that was the first time I felt like my life really had value. And I tied my identity up in that. So when I made the decision in 2017 to walk away from the sport, it was like, man, where do I find value now? because I think that everybody's looking for belongingness. We want to feel like we're adding value and we want to feel like we're being valued. And I didn't know how I was going to find that after sports. So I took a couple months off just thinking about what I wanted to do. Uh, Because I I remember Miles Monroe once said that, um, you know, you're born with certain gifts and sometimes you get put into a cage and that doesn't stop your ability to fly like a bird. It just limits it. And I think that football really limited to you know, what I thought about myself, what I believe my value was to this world. So in a sense, retiring was opening up that cage. But now I had to learn how to fly again. I had to find out what my true gift was and not just my talent. So that took a couple of months for me to do. And then, you know, I decided to just dedicate my life to trying to impact people because I realized that I had a gift to motivate people. I had a gift to really touch the hearts and the souls of people. And I wanted to use that for good. Mm. Who
0: was who was? some of your mentors or even just books that you read that helped you through that transition out of the NFL to have your own kind of identity? Because I think uh, uh, there are certain people, not just athletes, but just like military going back into civilian world. And it's like, that's a culture shock. So who or or what helped you through that?
2: It was tough. Cause I went through a, a dark uh, time because, when Leah was going through cancer, um, there were a lot of people that didn't show up in the way I I thought they would show up. Like perceived support means more to your well-being to actual support because when you actually go through things and people are not showing up the way that you thought they would, it hurts. So I kind of like isolated myself because I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know who would really be there for me in a tough time. So when I I made that transition uh, from the NFL, I really relied on my family and everything that I did was just through YouTube, learning. Um, my, my last year in the NFL, when I signed with the Texans, before the season started, I had made a vision board um, that said I wanted to go back to school and get my MBA. And I ended up uh, having a Liz Frank's, uh surgery two weeks into the season and my, my football season was done and in my mind, I knew it was done. And I decided to act on what I put on my vision board. I went back to get my MBA. Because I remember when I was in college, I used to listen to E.T. a lot. And he was like one of the reasons why he went back to school because he needed to learn how to speak the language of the masses. So I wanted to go back to school because I knew I wanted to work with companies and speak about resilience and overcoming challenges. So I went back and I got my MBA in leadership. Um, and then I just did a lot of self-development, reading every book that I could, um, reaching out to mentors, reaching out to people who can Put me on the right path. So I don't feel like I'm just keeping busy. Because you know, Denzel Washington said all oh, movement into progress. So I wanted to reach out to people who can really put me on the right path. And um, I was lucky enough to be able to build up relationships in the NFL, because a lot of people think that the best thing that comes from the NFL is the money. And it's really not true. It's your mm. access to certain people. And when you take advantage of that access and you build relationships, whether the money dries out, if your career don't go the way you wanted to, you can rely on those relationships to help create new avenues for you. So it was a lot of people that really poured into me. So good. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that everyone knows this, but I think you are on the
1: intro of one of the mixtapes. Am I? Am I right Emma? about that? Is I think so. And one of the mixtapes is it's your voice where I think you're introducing Ian. You're talking about
2: was it overcoming a broken leg or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was from when I went back to to visit my high school because when I yes. had made it to the NFL, I had went back to my high school to speak, and E just happened to be there. And I had new E because my senior year in in college, I just started going on YouTube, and I was listening to all the motivational stuff. I had never did it before that year, but I was listening to Ray Lewis. I was listening to E.T. every night and before games, and um, I don't know, it just gave me a a different perspective, right? Going into that last year is your last chance to really make things happen and make it to the NFL. So when I went back and I walked into the cafeteria, he was sitting there and I'm like, yo, what are you doing here? Like, I just saw you on, (laughs) thank God it's Monday, and now you are sitting inside the cafeteria. And he was like, yo, I want you to come up on the stage with me um, and speak. So we did that and we were able to build a relationship from there.
0: Dope. Okay, so, so what, Does it look like after the NFL, like what was what was the first thing that you did on a positive note where it was like, okay, this is going to be my brand. This is what people are going to know about me after the NFL, after baby girl got, you know, just cured from cancer and everything. Now it's like, okay, now what? What was that first thing that you're like?
2: This one, this is it authenticity realness mm. because i think that's what made our story stand out when leah was battling cancer because we weren't the first uh nfl player or sports uh, or athlete to go through this type of battle but for right. some reason it just really connected with the hearts and minds of people all over the world and i realized it because people got a chance to really see the authentic relationship between a father and a daughter It helped bring an athlete, because sometimes we put athletes up on pedestals like they're warriors and nothing really bothers them, that because they're making a certain amount of money, they don't experience certain things in life. And people were able to see like we're just like everybody else. Um, And that authenticity, I think, really connected with people. So I told myself that when I walked away from football, that I was going to build a brand based off of honesty and authenticity.
1: Mm, That's so good. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about uh, the business for a little bit, right, especially behind what may feel like an uncomfortable conversation for some because, of course, you built your brand around a phenomenal cause, right? It, and it's standing up for cancer in a sense. But but at the end of the day, you do need money, whether it's to bring back money to those who are in need, just just the medication and the resources for something like that. It's, it's not cheap. So can you talk about how you maybe navigated that world of understanding you need to raise money or there needs to be an element of a business, especially even though it's something that is for a good cause? You're not necessarily pocketing that money, but you you need you need the resources. How how did you navigate that that opportunity there or just that uh, concept overall?
2: Yeah, so I I looked at it as, you know, as soon as the news broke that Leah had cancer, uh, people kept asking me do you have a foundation that we want to donate to that we want to, that we want to support? And I didn't want to just launch any type of nonprofit because nonprofits are here today, go tomorrow. I needed to find a, a problem within the cancer community because to me, that's really just an opportunity to really have an impact. And, um, the more research I did, the more I spoke to other parents who was battling cancer, I realized that, you know, uh, parents who are are going through this, they lose 40% of their annual household income due to cancer treatment, work-related disruption. And I experienced that firsthand. I came out of college. I signed a $4 million contract. Leah got diagnosed my second year in the NFL. And then that contract got ripped up and I was paying for $600,000 that year. So it was like all that money that was guaranteed to me was Mm. now gone. So I understood the financial struggles of that. And then I realized that, you know, um, Bankruptcy rates in households with childhood cancer are 260% higher than house similar households without cancer. So I'm like, a lot of times we put so much focus and money into cancer research where there's an immediate need for families right now. Like y'all trying to find a cure five years from now, families are trying to find a way to make it through tomorrow. So I realized that we had to do something to impact, um, that part of the, the battle with cancer. So we started a nonprofit called the Still Strong Foundation, where we financially assist families who are battling cancer with household bills such as mortgages, car payments, groceries, gas, whatever we could really do um, to keep, you know, families, take that financial burden off of families. And then we just use social media. We used our media contacts to push the story out to people to really pull at people's heartstrings because people hold on to money. Unless you can find a way to just get them energized um, from their hearts and from their minds and their souls. And we just leaned on those relationships to build up our 1st our nonprofit, which is a business in a sense. You just mm-hmm. call it a non-profit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Mm There's a a lot under that one, for sure. I was
0: about to say, I feel like you have a follow up. You want to go?
1: Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot to that. And and I love that you kind of just spoke to it, because, again, I think a lot of us think about business as to as only one way. Mm -hmm. But even in the way a nonprofit is traditionally set up. The people who are organizing the nonprofit or taking care of the day to day, they get compensated. You know, you you need to be compensated for the work that you're doing under that. Can you just kind of talk about that for those out there who want to build a brand? They, they maybe believe in the cause, but they're saying, no, there's no money in that. So I'm not going to do it. And they're almost, like you said, silencing their purpose in a sense because of the day to day responsibilities that they have. But it's <laughs> you obviously figured out. Can you maybe just expand on that a little bit for those who might not know?
2: Yeah, I think Wallace said his best is money everywhere. There's money in everything if you really add value to it, because that's what people pay you for. That's what people give you money for, the amount of value you add to the world. Um, so for us, when you're trying to build something out and you don't really have the money, you have to find people who believe in your vision. And then you just give them everything else that's not monetary um, to pay them for the services that they're doing uh, for you. And then once you get to a point where you're able to pay people, then you start to pay them. But at first, you just have to start off with people who understand the vision. They can they can see where this has the capability of going and they actually believe in it. And they're going to work just as hard as they was getting paid a six figure uh, salary. And then once you all do reach a certain level, then you compensate them for the work that they put in for you. Mm -hmm.
0: Good moves.
1: Good.
2: No, no, that's that's.
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I know when it gets business talk, you're like, yo, hold
0: on, let's stay right here. I ain't mad at it. Okay, so uh, your wife, shout out to your wife. um, You have a podcast, and like your. When I say if y'all y'all look at their uh, Instagram, it's like relationship goals, like everywhere. You're gonna want to put that on your vision board. How they how they rock everything from their wedding to their anniversaries it's always fire right uh did she how did she feel and how did you guys maneuver around be even before the the podcast just being transparent about your relationship i know between you and your daughter there was already like this is what we're going to do but did your wife be like well hold on i didn't sign up for this transparency like i still want you to myself I love you. Uh, we don't have to do everything. Like, how how did she feel about this journey? How did the podcast come about? Because y'all y'all have some real conversations. Hence, the the <laughs> podcast name is Real Relationships Podcast. Like, let, right. let's let's talk about it.
2: Yeah, my my wife is an introvert. Like, I, I mm. come from I come from sports, so I had to be in the camera my whole career. So I was used to. It. I knew how to maneuver in that area, Um, but for her, it it took a while to do it. And I basically just had to teach her that, you know, when I first started talking in public, I was terrible. When I first started doing interviews, if you look back at my interviews in college, like my freshman, sophomore year, they were awful. I really didn't know how to speak to people, but I didn't allow that to stop me from really honing my gift and learning how to communicate with others. Um, And I know for the podcast, the reason why we started the podcast and was really open about our ups and our downs is um, I think it was before the pandemic We I was sitting around and I was scrolling on social media and I had saw that this big this big influencer couple had got a divorce or was getting a divorce and I was reading yeah. their comments and everybody was just Disappointed, They're like, man, y'all were coming on your podcast and your your Instagram and y'all were talking about how great your relationship was. And I was just like, wow, that's a huge problem. But like I said earlier, it's an opportunity. I was like, people are not expecting them to be perfect because I saw a lot of comments say, we wish you just would've told us you were going through it so that we can navigate those struggles together. Because here I am going through this tough time in my relationship and I'm like, well, why can't we be like them? Whereas if you would have said, hey, this is what we're going through right now and this is what we're doing to try to fix it. So I looked at my wife and I was like, yo, we need to start a podcast where we're just authentic. We talk about the real struggles in relationships so people know that they're not alone. And then we just do our research to find out what kind of interventions people can do to really overcome those challenges. From the first episode we point out, put out, people just love this. So I was like, yo, this is something we have here. Like. We're all about being authentic. We're all about being honest. So let's just call it the real relationship and we're going to bring the real back to relationship." And she was on board because uh, I think the first couple of episodes, I was like, yo, I need to talk about um, when I cheated. And she was like, yo, you you want to talk about that already? Right. I was like, what if people start looking at you, crazy?" I was like, I, I don't care. Like, this is real life stuff. I was playing in the NFL. Like, I played D1 football. These are real life things that people go through. This is when I was young, but I grew older. So instead mm-hmm. of trying to seem like I'm this perfect man or we're this perfect couple, let's show people what we went through and how we were able to overcome it. And You know, when we had that conversation, she was like, all right, let's do it. And again, people loved that episode because it was something they weren't getting from other couples. Like It was real stuff that people could relate to. And we were able to show them how we were able to overcome that to have the type of marriage we have now. Hmm.
1: Man, it's crazy because I'm I'm a big believer in at some point, everything that you try to hide is what you make public. And people are like, oh, in a way I knew, but now I really like what you're doing because it it humanizes you to everybody else. They understand exactly what you're saying. You're not perfect. But was there something that you did to maybe prepare? I don't know if it's the audience or the brand because- here you are for a long period dedicated to a cause and, and pushing that as the primary thing that you're about. Then you transition almost into something completely separate when you go into talking about relationships. Was there something that you had to do to, to prep your audience or even yourself and say, all right, let me do this and not necessarily worry about what, what I did previously? Because that's almost another level of you know your career, you would say.
2: No, because I, I think that the foundation was already being laid without us knowing from us being public with our wedding, um, us being public with interviews, like people already had an inside look into our relationship. So to build something like a podcast based off of relationships was just natural. Me and my wife Mm -hmm. actually talked about how we probably should have did it earlier because we had one, um, the the not dream wedding for our relationship. We got married in uh, the New York Public Library on some sex in the city type of stuff. And we was at every, Uh, fashion week, New York fashion week, picking out different dressings, we were like, man, we should have just pulled out our phone and just vlog this type of stuff to give people an inside look of what this is like, because we knew it would have blew up right off the bat. But uh, I, in a sense, I'm glad we didn't, because we were actually able to be fully present in that in that moment, because we had been through so much the prior year with Leah battling cancer that we just needed to keep something close to ourselves. But it was like it was already building up for us to do something like this.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let me get in my my moose bag real quick. So (laughs) moose, prepare to do do another uh, layup on this one. Um, So now you go from, hey, boo, we're in a relationship, we're married and everything, to, hey, we're starting a podcast and we got to make money off of this. So now we're business partners, right? So talk about, like, that transition of, how are you taking this podcast with your wife into something that's a complete brand that's bringing in uh, brand deals, sponsorships? And I know you had before launched a Patreon and things like that, like break down the different ways you guys are making money together. And how is that that relationship with, you know, husband and wife as, you know, business partners? Because like, do, do you all do y'all argue about money when it's like, yo, hold on, you didn't take this deal. Like, yo, wait, I didn't I didn't mean to like, hold on.
2: Right. No. So we we didn't we never argued about money. Um, I, I think for us, the first thing we did when we decided to make this into a business, because at first we was just going to do it for fun, is we made a pact that our marriage comes before the business. So if we're struggling in our marriage, we're not gonna pick up the microphone and act like everything's good. We're not gonna keep forcing ourselves to put out um, podcasts like this is our number one goal is to have a successful marriage and raise uh, amazing kids who really flourish when they grow older. And if anything comes in between that, then we got to cut that off. Uh, so for us, when we decided to make it a business, we just understood the roles that we were going to have. Um, just like you would do that in a marriage, you're gonna do it in a business. You understand what you're responsible for and do you do everything you can to fulfill that obligation and then you support your partner whenever you can. And then for us, we really didn't take start taking money um, until we were two, three years in because I think sometimes people just, they try too fast to start making money off their gift uh, when they should just be putting it out for free Uh, It's like Frank Lewis. He's not going, he didn't, Frank Lucas, he didn't just put out blue magic and start charging people. He started giving it to their customers and giving them a taste so that they can spread the word and come back to pay for it. So for us, it was just push out as much content as possible to give people value. And then when the time is right, then we'll start asking for the money. Then we'll start putting out courses for people because they're like, man, they're giving us so much for free. I wonder what they're going to give us once you start charging for things. So that's what right. we're in the process of doing right now, uh, because I didn't want to take money when I first started learning about the the podcast game. I think it was Tim Ferriss and when he was like, uh, "Don't start taking money until you get fifty thousand downloads per episode, because then you can really start hitting companies in the head and making a lot of money." So I had told my wife at first, "I'm like, yo, we can't take money. We're just gonna have to ride this out. We're gonna continue to put out um, content." And then when we start to reach those numbers, then we're going to start to reach out to people um, and, and start you know, selling them spots because we've had a lot of companies reach out to us that we just turned down because we didn't hit our number yet. But when we do, we're going to come back to y'all and we're going to get paid the right amount um, for our influence.
1: Mm. Oh, That's
2: big, Oof. that's big. Hey, I, I,
1: I wanted to ask, and I'm wondering like, if there's ever a time where y'all got on a podcast and almost like cleaned up something that had went wrong Right. Like previously, it's like as you're trying to fix the marriage, it's like, oh, let's use this as an outlet, because one of the things that I've realized about podcasting is I don't want to say it's therapy, but man, it is a form that can really help you solve or work through a lot of challenges that, that you might be going through. And it feels weird because it's you, a microphone and a camera. But before you know it, there is some growth and change and transformation that's happening just by having an outlet to really work something out of.
2: Yeah. So for us, we, we haven't had to go back and, and edit any of our episodes because we do a good job of sitting down and talking and understanding what each person is comfortable with sharing with the world so that we don't really step on each other's toes. We don't put each other in uncomfortable positions. But sometimes when we're having discussions, it may go away that we didn't think it was going to go. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If let's just say that if we did break out into some type of disagreement, on our, our episode, we would just show people how you walk through a disagreement. Like, we don't want to mm. show people that happy couples never argue. We want to show them that happy couples argue the right way. So if we're having a disagreement on our podcast, we're just going to show people how you can navigate through those disagreements and still be able to love each other and not feel like you just try to amputate each other in order to win the the disagreement or the argument.
0: Mm. Okay, let me get in my my bag real quick. Uh so so your Instagram, right? Mm. Uh you if you may have waited from a podcast standpoint to get paid, but I do be seeing some yeah. of these little sponsored joints on the Instagram whether, you know, we we talking about certain baby brands, whatever because you know the the pregnancy journey and things like that. Uh how do you maneuver around Saying yes, saying no when it comes to your social media.
2: Yeah, that's why I can say no to the podcast because we make enough money off of Instagram and social <laughs> media. Talk about it! So, Talk about
0: yeah.
2: it! <laughs> uh, I, I can definitely turn down the deals with the podcast until it reached the level that I wanted to reach or that we wanted to reach. Um, but as far as brand deals, when it comes to social media, we've been a—I've done a great job of just honing in on my audience. I've had to reinvent myself constantly over social media, like if people scroll back to see where I started from, I had to find my space because, you know, when you are just starting this thing out, it's like you're trying everything that everybody else is doing and then you're paying attention to your analytics and you're seeing what really resonates with your audience. And I did that in the parenting space and just being a a husband and being a father. And I'm like, yo, this is what I'm going to build my brand off. And when other brands are seeing that, they're putting more money. Into influences instead of radio ads because people don't listen to the radio. People are not uh, watching TV anymore, so they got to find a way to still reach their their audiences. And you know, even with that, I, I still turn down a lot of deals um, when it comes to my social media that be worth a lot of money. For instance, because I I have certain values that I'm not really willing to cross in order to make money. It was the same reason why I was able to make the decision to walk away from football to be there. For my family and for my daughters, because I understood my values. Because when I was in college, I think there was an interview with Dave Chappelle and Oprah when he walked away from the fifty million, and she was like, "If you don't know who you are before the money and fame comes, then you'll never know who you are." And I made mm-hmm. it a point during that time to really find out what I find out what I valued as a man. So two things that I, I never promote on you know my social media just because I have a lot of people within the cancer community following me who are going through challenging times, and I have kids who are following me is I don't promote alcohol and I don't promote gambling. And I don't, if that's something that you want to do, that's cool for you to do. Um, I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm perfect. Like I don't have a drink every now and again, but because I understand that I have parents who are battling cancer and sometimes they find negative ways to cope with their pain. I don't want to push alcohol for, uh, something that they ended up trying and they like, and they're like, well, this is what I'm going to go through when I'm having a tough time, you know, with my kid battling cancer, or I don't want to um, influence that kid who may be following me, who don't have the, the brain development to understand the decisions that he's really making in his life to try something. And he gets hooked on it because I put that out on my, my platform. So uh, I'm very meticulous about the companies I align with. And as long as they align with my values, then I'll be willing to share that with my audience.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Any any do's and don'ts for people navigating brand sponsorships? I mean, I know you just called out a couple and that's major, the one around the values. But for anybody out there who is starting to get in that level where they're starting to get brands reaching out to them, just navigating the business talk and stuff like that, any do's and don'ts that you
2: would share from your experience? Yeah, the, the first thing would just be to understand your worth because life is all about negotiations. And if you don't understand your worth, somebody else is going to tell you what that is. But you you have to be realistic with what it like. is. Don't put yourself up here when you're not really there yet. You haven't made to that level. Like Start where you're at and start to work your way up and and learn how to negotiate with these companies because a lot of them, like even with me, I have agents that that I work with. So sometimes there will be companies that reach out to me and I'll just send them to my agents. But some companies want to work with the influencer directly because I guess that they'll have a chance in order to, to work a better deal, but set your price point. And if they don't like it, stick with it because you understand some deals are not going to go through because they're going to try to devalue you. Right. There was one Mm -hmm. where I had, um, somebody, a a company had asked me to post, um, one time and they had paid me, uh, like 20,000. Right. And, they, they ask you for access to your, your Facebook so that they can start to promote it to audience that are like yours. And I had saw after we had finished our contract, they spent like a half a million in order to market me. And I'm like, hold on. I don't think I'm charging enough because if you think, right. you know, there's, wow. uh, you're willing to spend a half a million dollars to put my face out to a certain audience, then my likeness is definitely worth Way more money than I thought it was, so I think just by doing your due diligence, understanding your worth, understanding what if they're willing to pay you a certain amount of money, they're trying to make tenfold, twentyfold off of you. So just being able to learn how to negotiate is important. A
0: negotiate word, so serious, so so serious. Mm-hmm. So I have a and and Moose. I want to kind of do this uh, every time we got in view. I got I got. I got a random question, right? But it's it always changes. So, what is your definition of success? I think everybody has their own different vibe with it. And so, for you, what does success look like? And have you ha- have you met it?
2: Oh, me? No, no, not at all. I had. <laughs> He's I had like
0: no, not at all. No, I,
2: I haven't reached I've experienced <laughs> I have experienced success in my life but I wouldn't say that I'm successful yet um and I, I think success is really what you're able to accomplish um based off of what you were put here to accomplish um and I think that's the simplest thing it's not based off of what you see other people do because that's really competition but it's what you are capable of doing and if you're able to reach that and for me I, I say that I haven't reached that yet um When you asked that question, it reminded me of, I had went and spoke at a panel um, at an event and it was like with five other people. And at the end of the event, somebody from the audience got up and it was like, can each of you talk about uh, the moment you realized that you were operating in your greatness and, and you were successful? And I was on the left, I was on the right side of the panel and I told them to start on the left side of the panel because I didn't want to be the first one to talk. Like some I like to process my thoughts um before I speak. And I, I just started to listen to the other four panelists talk about how you know they was operating in their greatness in the moment that they mm-hmm. knew it. And it's no shade against them, but I think sometimes we we minimize what greatness truly means and what success truly means. Like I, I know when you walk into a room, you know when there's greatness in there, right? You know when there's an E.T. in there. You know when there's a Serena Williams, a, a Michael Jordan, right? Amaya Andrew, like, you know when you're in a room full of greatness, and it's not going to be often that you're in the room full of people who are just great, who have mastered their craft and reached the top pinnacle. So I was listening to all of them talk, and when they passed the mic to me, I looked at the crowd, and I was like, I haven't started operating in my greatness yet, but y'all will know when I do. And the panelists looked at me like, oh, like darn, I should have said that because now I, I'm not fully there yet, but I felt like I had to say that to these people because I'm on the panel and they want to hear certain things from me. But I think it's dangerous when you feel like you have already become successful and you feel like you're already operating in your greatness that you you pull back some. But I still have a lot more that I can accomplish and as long as I'm real with myself, I'm going to eventually make it there, but I just have to take it in stride and I have to be able to celebrate the small victories on the road to greatness.
1: Such a fire. Wow. Whoa. Wow. See? Yeah, man. Uh, you kind of <laughs> stuck me with that. I don't know that I have any follow-up questions <laughs> after that. <laughs> Sheesh, you kind of put me on my heels. That was uh, that was incredible. No, man, but I do want to just take a moment and say thank you. To be honest with you, it's, it's rare that you come across someone who against society standards has accomplished a lot, but is humble, is driven, is focused and is still working after other ways or looking for other ways to become better. I know you're, you know, currently pursuing an advanced degree now again, in addition to oh, I'm yeah, done now. A, Oh, oh no, I'm done. Hey. I, I, I graduated. May. I'm done. <laughs> no hey. more yeah, so all right. So well, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But again, it just goes to show, like constantly still working. So for that, man, just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for setting a great example. Thanks for, of course, being uh open and sharing this conversation with here, here, this with us here. This was uh this was dope, man. This was deep convo. Like low key, yeah. this was pretty deep. I'm not gonna lie. Hey
0: <laughs> I, yeah. I, I got one more question. I got yep. one more. Uh three books. Three books that has helped you with uh, branding and business. Three
2: books. Branding and business. Yep. Uh, let me look at my shelf because I got These yeah, books yeah. are not that's just a, for, th- for look.
0: Listen, that's why I had to say <laughs> it. I was like, oh, he got books. So yeah. let's talk about it.
2: You so, know what the, I mean? the, the first one would be uh, Soar by T.D. Jakes. Um, I think it teaches a lot of great principles about business, about how you hone in on your gift. And you really just take it um, to the next level. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that uh, the the second book will be Think and Grow Rich, because I think that a lot that has to do with business has to do with personal development. And if you don't really understand money, then you're not going to be able to make money. And if you do make money, then you're going to spend money too fast and which is not going to be sustainable. So I would definitely start with those two books. And then final one. Um, oh, the the effective executive um, I think is, is really important because anytime that you get in business, if you're really trying to scale it at a certain level, you have to be able to learn how to manage uh, people. If you're not able to manage people, if you're not able to get people to believe in one common vision for your business and for your company, then uh, it, somebody can derail it because they don't have the same value. So I think the executive, uh, the effective executive will teach people how to be able to manage people properly.
0: That's so good. That's so good. Hopefully, y'all wrote that down. Look, just like how Moose said, uh, we appreciate that you spend the time here, opened up about the brand side, the business side, because that doesn't necessarily get talked a lot about when it comes to influencers and things like that. But uh, normally, Moose does the final words, but since you are the guest, uh, tell the people where they can find you. And then, of course, final words for the people.
2: Yeah, so they can find me on Instagram at, at Still in the Game or Relationships podcast or you can visit my website at devinstill.com. Um, and if it was the final words that I would leave for people is uh don't become a prisoner of your past. Um, there's a lot of like I said earlier, there's sometimes I allowed football to put me into a cage and I didn't really understand my potential specifically in undergrad I had, you know, graduated from Penn State with a 2.0. I did the bare minimum but as I, I got older I got wiser and I really challenged myself and I went back to school to get my MBA and I graduated with my MBA with a 3.4. Then I went back to school again at, at Ivy League um, at UPenn to get my graduate in positive psychology and I almost graduated with a 4.0 and I was only able to do that because I never allowed myself to become a prisoner in the past and I used to always tell my daughter, uh, cause she's in advanced math right now and then she's scared to death of uh, math and she's scared of failure. And I, I will always try to tell her that I don't think that people are really scared of failing. They're, they're afraid of what failure means to them because we make up stories in our mind about what it means when failure should not be about the person but it should be about the process. So if you failed uh, in your life before And that doesn't make you a failure. That means you have to look back over the process in which you took and learn how to adjust that process so that you can reach a level of success.